Hello, my name is Dr. Katherine Garforth from Garforth Education, and this is the Right to Read Initiative. Today, I have the pleasure of Kate Wynn joining me, a kindergarten teacher from Ontario, and we're going to be discussing the Right to Read Initiative in a kindergarten classroom, or sorry, the Right to Read Inquiry Recommendations in a kindergarten classroom. So today we're going to go through what Kate does with her students and how that aligns with structured literacy. So Kate, can you take a moment to introduce yourself and give you a little bit of a background for those who hadn't joined us on our previous conversation? Yes. So as you mentioned, I'm in Ontario. I've been teaching for 22 years now with the Peterborough, Victoria, Northumberland, Clarington Catholic District School Board. I've had a range of teaching experiences, core French. I was an itinerant teacher of the gifted for the board, working with, um, with gifted students. I've been a junior classroom teacher. I spent eight years in grade three or, you know, a, a split thereof, two, three, three, four. And then six years ago, I moved to kindergarten. That's where I really, you know, started to, to see issues with how literacy was working. That's when I did a deep dive into the science of reading that we talked a lot about in part one last night and learned a lot about structured literacy and then for the past couple of years I have been trying to to implement that and I'm really excited to be here we've kind of broken things down for tonight into just different components of structured literacy I brought home bags of stuff so that I can you know hold things up and I know I've given Catherine lots of links that we might either share during or will definitely be in the notes on Catherine's website later um, once the, the video goes up so that people can get all those resources too so I'm just uh, thrilled to be with you again Catherine thank you oh well thank you so much it's really uh, exciting to speak with different teachers and seeing how they use structured literacy in your classroom because like you said this has been a personal journey of looking for the answers and now that we have those recommendations from the right to read public inquiry hopefully we're going to see curriculums change so that they're in line with structured literacy and the science of reading so that all of our students get access to the right to read and teachers can use those best practices for teaching reading. As we mentioned before, this is stuff that you didn't get from your teacher education program. It's stuff that you've gotten from a deep dive into uh, promoting your lifelong learning, finding these resources. And that's what teachers are having to do right now, but we're hoping to see the tides change and seeing more professional development. So why don't we dive in? Now, if we look at what the research says uh, through the various reports, we see that there are five foundational elements when it comes to teaching language and literacy. They are phonological awareness, phonics, vocabulary, fluency, and comprehension. Tonight, we're going to cover all five of those areas, but I think we should start off with that important step that we can all do, and that's screening. Mm -hmm. So how do you use screening in your classroom? 
So screening, I would say, is one of the areas from Right to Read that I don't have going as well as I would like right now. I mean, a lot of the other things, when I read the recommendations, I'm like, okay, yes, check, check, we're on the right track, and I'm doing that. Screening, I would love to have like a standardized tool, you know, with norms, something widespread that, that I would be able to use, and I don't have that yet. We mentioned last night, I'm looking into maybe doing some Acadians training. I'm not sure what our board will implement or if the ministry will mandate certain ones, so that part we'll have to wait and see, but I absolutely do know the importance of screening. So what I did this year to kick things off is I used a phonological awareness um, assessment at the start of the year, like a, a pre-kindergarten kind of assessment to see where they were. I also did a letter and sound assessment and then just kind of a little mini printing thing in terms of printing their name. So that was all within the first couple of weeks of school, getting all of that information. And then later in the year, of course, following up doing mid-year to see how they're doing from there. But even at the very beginning, just having that information was so valuable valuable because we know we don't want to be doing guided reading groups, leveled readers, that whole thing that's gone out. We're doing small groups based on skills. So that gave me information right from the start of the year. So, I mean, I know we're going to talk about phonological awareness next, and that was an area that I kind of knew exactly what to target because I knew who needed what. So the screening piece is important. Definitely. I hope to improve my practice in that area, you know, as we, we get better tools and, and move forward, but definitely part of what I'm doing. And I do want to mention before we even get into to any of the other aspects too. I am not saying for one minute that like I'm a perfect teacher or I'm better than anybody else out there or that any resources I'm using are perfect. I'm honestly just pulling what I really use. And I just think it's helpful for people to see a real teacher in the classroom. These are the things that I actually used with my students a few hours ago that I brought home to, to kind of hold up. I'm not affiliated with any particular program or brand or anything like that. And I'm not saying, cause I use this, you should, you know, add it to your cart and buy it right now. But I just want people to know ideas because you might have similar things kicking around closets at your school that you didn't realize would support structured literacy or that sort of thing. So I just thought it would be a good idea to, uh, to share all of this stuff, but it doesn't mean you have to use the exact same things as me or that mine are perfect. No resources are perfect. We know it's, you know, the teacher knowledge and what the teacher does with programs, that's a lot more important than actually you know what's sitting there on the table or what's up on the board so uh yeah so I'm excited to uh, to share what I have for these different categories for sure and it's a, it's definitely a journey that takes time right we the research is saying it does take three to five years to go from a balanced literacy program to a full-on structured literacy program and it's a stepwise process that's going to take trial and error and experience so I mean it's amazing that you've gone out and done this on your own and you're conscious of the fact that you may have to tweak things here or there each year until you get it perfect uh, and those that screening measures can be so informative about your instruction. And there definitely are various ones available, several that are free, and they can give you diagnostic information about your students. Not diagnostic in the sense that we're diagnosing them with a learning disorder. We're just saying that they're at risk. And these are the areas that you need to focus on in your instruction to help them. And some of the, the bigger tools that have the online scoring and resources will actually print out a class composition so you know exactly what you need to do with your students and have them in the groups. And 
some of the ones that have been around longer can say, you know what, if you don't target these areas and they don't get the support in these areas, this is where this student is going to score in grade four. And without the intervention, it's pretty consistent. All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about is phonological awareness. Now, phonological awareness is something that was left out of my teacher education program. And when I tried to bring it up, uh, just because I knew about it at the time I was doing my teacher training, they said, don't worry about that. So um, that was a little bit disappointing, but uh, it's okay if it's something that you're not familiar with. And I think most of the people watching this probably have some idea about phonological awareness. But it is something that we need to get out there and for teachers to realize how important it actually is to that beginning reading instruction. So how do you work on phonological awareness in your classroom? Yeah, so just in case anybody doesn't know, so phonological awareness, it's when you're able to discern, manipulate those sounds of spoken language, going down even tighter, the phonemic awareness is the individual sounds, right? So that's what we're working with in spoken language. Very important, we know for reading, there's a reciprocal relationship with the phonological awareness, the phonemic awareness, and the print for sure. And before I dive in, I do just want to say, just in case there's anybody watching who's like really up on all the research, I've read the whole, you know, they say you can do phonemic awareness in the dark, but should you? And then I've read the response to that, um, that piece. And then I've read, I'm, in a, I'm a member of a listserv where these professionals and scientists are all giving their commentary and you know Dr. Seidenberg is weighing in on his big talk in Atlanta that got some some scandal so if I'm saying things and you're thinking who are these people and what is she talking about that's totally cool don't worry but if you're thinking does she know all of the different you know micro debates going on about this yes I do so basically what I've done with phonological awareness is I just take all the information I have and try to do what's best for my kids so with the screening information I started with at the start of the year I realized there were some kids, especially my year one kindergartens, because in Ontario, year one and year two are combined. So your kids that are turning four and turning five are all in the same class, you know, starting after Labor Day. So there were some who didn't get the idea even of isolating an initial sound. So if I asked them, you know, what's the first sound you hear in Matt, they'd say Matt. Or, you know, you'd kind of prompt them like, oh, no, you know, and then you give them another example and they'd, maybe they'd say, Matt. <laughs> No. And so then I just realized who needs to work on that. One tool that I found was amazing. And it was one of those back of the closet kind of things is this match a sound phonemic awareness box that um, has little mats in it with pictures. So this is not at all about the graphemes, like the spelling, the letters. This is just about the oral sounds. So, okay, well, that's mice or mouse. So, you know, it's, mm. and then it's got all of these little props and so the kids have to pick out the ones that start with mm to put on there. So you can do it different ways. You can lay out all the mats and have the kids try to sort, or you can just focus on one. We did it like as a game, we'd go around the table with the kids who needed to work on that. And that's the whole idea of the small group instruction. If there are kids who can already ace all of that, you don't need to pull them as a small group to work on it. They've already got it. But the kids that needed to work on that, that was a really, uh, a really helpful tool I found for that. We do have um, in my class the, the Hegarty uh, Phonemic Awareness resource. And I know we're learning all sorts of different things, like, uh, like I said, fine tuning the research, right? So some things we know are we don't have to have kids master the bigger chunks like syllables and rhymes first. It's okay to do syllable and rhyme activities with your class, 
but they don't have to know that to go to the phonemes, those individual sounds. We know that as soon as they can start school, you start introducing the phonemes, which is what I did. And we'll get into that a little bit more talking about the phonics piece. So absolutely, we would do some oral activities, but I already was starting to do the phonics piece with the print as well, because we also know that it's important to have both going on at the same time. You don't need to do just oral phonemes for weeks. And I think that's what some people worry about with some of these programs. They think, oh no, the teacher's just going to do all this orally for 30 five weeks before they introduce letters. And that, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's how people perceive it. So we know that we can do some of that. And also some of the things are helpful. Like I find segmenting, blending, helpful to practice orally. Segmenting for sure, because when they sit down to write at a blank sheet of paper, they don't have any letters. They have to figure out the segmenting to know what letters to get down. So some of that I think is good, like really, really quick little drills. It's really good for them to have that. Some of the more some say advanced and something that's not the right term, but some of the more like substitution and deletion and all of that, probably better to do when you're actually using letters and you're having them do it with manipulatives or you're having them do it on whiteboards, that sort of thing as well. You're getting into, into the print part of it, but phonological awareness definitely. And it's not something, I mean, I used to do syllable and rhyme activities and that sort of thing prior to learning about structured literacy, but it wasn't like an explicit part of my program. So definitely now it is every single day, there's, there's a little bit of that. Well, and one thing that I think is important to mention when we're talking about phonemic awareness and you know having it incorporated it into our phonics program, when we teach phonics, we're not teaching all the letter course sound correspondences at once. So when we have that component of the phonemic awareness, we can be working with sounds or phonemes that we haven't taught the students the letter sound correspondence, the phoneme grapheme correspondence. So we can be working with more advanced sounds before they understand the phonics and having that as an activity for a short bit every day is not going to hurt the students. They are not going to go home injured from spending a couple minutes just segmenting and blending words together. Yeah, absolutely. So now that we've talked, or sort of before we go on, I want to mention that I did put the link to the Match a Sound Phonemic Awareness boxes set in the chat. So if you're wondering where that is, and it will be available after when we post the replay in the, the, the comment section. Um, and the, the notes on the Garforth, sorry, the Right to Read Initiative website, the Right to Read Initiative YouTube channel, and in the Right to Read podcast. So next we move on to phonics. Yes. Now phonics instruction is where we're explicitly teaching those phoneme and grapheme, meaning the letter relationship now, a important part of phonics as far as structured literacy and the science of reading goes is we're not just teaching them 26 letters. We're teaching them the, all the relationships between the phonemes and the graphemes uh, over a period of time. And it's not just in those primary years. And it includes things like digraphs, such as the letters TH, making the or the mm sound so that they can sound out words that contain those such as with and the 
and not go and not understand how there's that link between the letters and the sounds. So how do you do phonics in your classroom? So previously, I did have some phonics. I mean, uh, of course, I, I knew that it was important for them to know about letters and sounds, but the kindergarten program in Ontario, very vague, you know, they need to know some letters and sounds, but we know that you need an explicit systematic, right? So you've got a system to it, but also so you have a schedule, right, for what the order is of the sounds that you're going to teach. And a lot of people want to know, like, what's the perfect scope and sequence? And what most of the research says is there are a lot of effective scopes and sequences, and it's just more important that you have one. So a lot of them start with sort of those sat pin letters, like a Jolly Phonics does that, the program that I'm using. Those are kind of the first ones. So you have S-A-T-P-I-N, not in that exact order, but necessarily, but because they're really common letters, you can make a lot of words with them. You can start diving right into kids reading and writing words with those letters and sounds. Some people I know base their programs on printing. Like I know one amazing kindergarten teacher and she likes to start with the letter I because it's just so easy for them to print a line and a dot as opposed to some of those curvy things, some of the weird, the weird ones that are harder for them to print when they're first learning. So the most important thing is that you have a scope and sequence that you're going to follow. Um, Jolly Phonics is used in our board. It's got really good uh, effectiveness ratings. Um, I actually kind of pieced things together this year, and I have to give a lot of credit to an American teacher named Ashley Scherf, whom I have never met, but I am in a Science of Reading Facebook group with her, and she has so generously posted things that she has created. So one of the things I'll get to, sorry, I'll get to her in a second. So I do have the tools for reading the, the sound wall resources. And so we won't show the sound wall quite yet, but I'll show a few of the cards. So a lot of it's already up on my sound wall, but for example, I'm going to do the long O vowel soon. And I've got my ring light on because you know, it's a school night and I'm not doing this without some good lighting. So you might not be able to see everything perfectly, but it's basically got like a little key picture. So it's an opener. And then it shows different graphemes that can represent O. So it's got O, O, A, the O blank E, and then the O, W. I cover up with stickies the ones that I don't want to talk about quite yet. Like a lot of them are very straightforward when you're doing um, a letter and a sound, like the M is just sound just has the letter M, but some of these have different ways that that sound can be represented. So they're on here. So when I go to teach a sound in a letter, what I do is start with the sound. So I just orally talk about the sound and then I would hold up one of these cards, like the kid lips cards that show a child making the sound with their mouth and we practice making the sound. This is before I have shown them a letter. I'm just showing them the sound. We talk about the sound. I know some people have talked about um, teachers making their own sound while taking photos of the kids' faces. That's cool too if you want to do that. For me, um, at this point, my time is a little more valuable than my money. So I wanted to just buy something that I knew I could use. I also love the diversity in some of these because in my class, it would be, you know, a great big wall of little white faces. And I think the white kids are very well represented. So I wanted them to see something diverse. So that's why I, I'm happy to use a, a prepackaged product. So I have these. And then I would use these and I also would show, and this doesn't go with the O because I left the O at school, but I would also show one of these and it's they're called embedded mnemonics. And there's actually research to support the use of these when kids are first learning letters and sounds. So you could have, you know, the letter K with a picture of a key beside it. It, but that's different. This is the letter actually shaped like the picture. So you can see keys making the letter K. And I have a whole set. They're from Spellphabet. And I gave Catherine the link for that too that we'll share. 
And so I would show, I mean, when I get to the O, I would show the one that goes with the O. These have been an amazing scaffold for kids. So right now I have one out of 25 kids still using these when we're practicing. The other 24, I can now use letter cards that don't have any pictures on them at all. They can just use the letters and I can say letter name, letter sound, and they've got them. And then we've done some digraphs too. So um, we do those sounds as well on top of just the individual letters. But these are really helpful and I would use them when I'm introducing the letters. Once the kids have mastered and they don't need this little prompt anymore, that's great. And then you move on. And so, as I said, there's only one, one little one still in my class, still using that part. Now, when I'm doing all that, I then pull up slideshows. And again, we've got a link to those. So Ashley has made a slideshow for introducing all of the letters and sounds. So I would go to a picture that also would show like the mouth and we're talking about that. And then there's some pictures of objects. And so let's say again, we're doing the M. I'd say, okay, you know, what's this word? And they, oh, that's a mat and that's a monkey and whatever. And then the next one would show pictures and some of them start with the M and some of them don't. So then we're saying, okay, which ones do start with mm, and you're talking about that. And then a few slides later, we get to the graph and we get to the letter M. And this is how we represent the letter M when we're reading, when we're writing, and this is what it looks like. And we can draw it in the air and that sort of thing. There's little videos embedded like from YouTube, like find the letter M. And I mean, I don't know if there's research to support pointing and finding it on the screen, but for two or three minutes, that's something they love to do when we start a new letter. So we do that as well. And then, um, also, we would later, later on incorporate the printing practice for that letter. So usually I would do that part later in the day. Sometimes when we have reading buddies. That's an excellent thing that the reading buddies can help with. And what I found kind of neat is I train the buddies too. Like I think the buddies are learning a little bit about the grade sevens and eights, learning a bit about structured literacy because I'm telling them how to work with, with the kids on that sort of stuff. And then the important thing too about when you're doing your phonics is what you're giving kids to read needs to be directly related to the phonics that you have taught. So that's where those books about, you know, guessing and predicting, that's where they are out. And now we're using decodable resources. So this amazing teacher, Ashley, also created books, decodable books that follow the scope and sequence of the introduction of all of those letters and sounds. So after I had done the first few letters and sounds, there were decodable books to go along with it. So just a little example here, what I would do is I'd use them as slideshows on the board, Google slideshows with the kids so they could see them really big and we could read them together and reread them. But then when you print off Google slides, you can do six per page, front and back, so then the entire story is on a sheet of paper that you can send home for the kids to practice. So I mean, this is a really early one. And at the very beginning, I don't know if you can see at the top, they practice the sounds that are found in the book as a review. And then these sentences are like, it's not thrilling. You know, Pat sat, Nat sat in a hat, Nat sat in a pan, Pat naps, um, Nat taps Pat, because I mean, we didn't have very many letters and sounds to work with, right? But then as we got on farther, we have things like this is Ash, she is on the log at the pond. She got that frog on the log. Like, you know, it gets a little more interesting once they have more letters and sounds to work with. But again, the important thing is they're using what you taught them. Because when they are using those other books and they're guessing, that's not reading. So this is also how you can assess your kids reading. And I know I've had teachers ask me, well, what do I assess with if I'm not supposed to use those other tools? Will you just give them decodable text based on what you've taught them? Because that's what you should expect them to be able to do is, is what you have taught them to do with the phonics. And then just other little activities. Like I know some people like centers or sometimes you do need a worksheet. I mean, we don't want our days to be spent on worksheets no matter what grade we're in. But, you know, once I had introduced 
the SAT pin, there's a sorting activity. So it's got S-A-T-P-I-N across the top. And if you're working on fine motor, cut out the pictures, what's the starting sound? That's something else that they did with their buddies. Or something like roll it, name it, make the sound. They've got a number cube, they roll it, and then they try to make the sound and they're covering it up until they kind of get a bingo or, or that sort of thing. So these are all ways to help reinforce the phonics that they're learning. Wonderful. And, you know, when we're doing phonics, we don't want to just exclusively leave it for um, reading. We also want to incorporate it, it into writing. And that's where you had mentioned that we're doing this as we form the letters and getting them to use those skills. Now in kindergarten, there's only limited that we're gonna be expecting, but we still wanna make sure they have that automaticity or build to automaticity so that we, when we say a sound, they can print the letter for it and then graduate up to blending and segmenting and representing them in simple uh, VC, vowel consonant or CBC words. Um, now you did mention Silisense on the slide yeah. or on our notes, but I don't think you addressed that. No, so our board bought Flyleaf as a set of decodable books. So they're really great. So our primary classes have those. I also asked last year for a set called Primary Phonics. So these are great decodable books as well. And I mean, this one is a short vowel review. So it's got the consonant sounds and the short vowels. So again, this is what you would use if you wanted to assess how they're doing, right? So, you know, it ran to a big tub. It got up on the rim of the tub. Dad ran to get it. That sort of thing that you can expect them to decode. And so that's when you know if there's a problem. If you've taught this, you think that they've learned it and they're still having trouble. Now, at this point in the year, I have some kids who are still saying it, it. Ran, ran. That's okay because I'm still seeing that they're sounding it out. So there's that range and then you've got the ones who can read it just the way I did right now. So again, you just don't want to be encouraging them to look at the pictures or what do you think it might be. It's all about the sounds. If they get stuck, it's prompting them, you know, like if they totally don't know the sound, you just say, oh, remember that? And then they can, you know, continue on. If they need the word, just give them the word and let them go. No, no guessing. I am looking into other ones. And so I did mention to Catherine, Silisense. Somebody on Twitter suggested that. And I looked it up, a Canadian company. And they have um, some really neat looking sets of decodable books. And I can't totally recommend them because I haven't used them yet. But that's uh, something on my wish list to try those just because they're, they're Canadian as well. Um, I thought I had it in my notes here somewhere. And I don't see it maybe put it in another section but just the idea of also the high frequency words so we know sight words scientists define as something else but we also know that every word is not decodable in terms of a kindergarten student's phonics knowledge so we do absolutely want to incorporate some of those high frequency words like the and was and the ones that aren't going to sound out based on the sounds that you have taught them so the, the research really shows that the best thing to do is to still talk about the aspects of the phonics that they do know. So if you're teaching a word like um, the, if they've got the T, if they've learned the TH in phonics, then you can tell them, okay, you know that part. It's just the other part that you need to practice or memorize. I like the whole heart words concept. I know people who maybe do remediation with older kids, they might find heart words, you know, sounds a little young, but I do like, um, so I use, um, 
the HeartWords Magic little videos when I'm introducing. And so what they do is they put kind of a line under the letters that kids should be able to sound it with their phonics knowledge and a little heart over the part that they need to learn by heart. So in the, it would just be the E because they're expecting eh, because that's all they know. And that's not what uh, what we say for, for the E and the. So there's just a little heart there. So I've added some heart words, but you want them to know some phonics first before you start introducing those, because then you're able to talk about the phonics patterns and which parts don't go with the phonics that they've learned. So that's uh, that's another important part too, because I know a lot of people say, oh, decodable books, you know, they're, they're not natural and, you know, they need to have some high frequency words, but most do. They start weaving them in because you can't have too much of a plot if you can't use the word the anywhere. So, you know, you will find decodable books. And as you keep going and the skills go higher and higher with decodable, more and more of those high frequency words that aren't completely decodable to the kids do get introduced. So it's not like they're non-existent in decodable books, but it's just they work their way up just like the other sounds do. Definitely. And when we are doing phonics, there is a lot of research on the use of pseudo words or non words. So we can be putting a string of letters together that are would be considered a legal word in English and get the kids to sound them out. And they can have lots of fun doing that, especially when they're starting to get to be able to do two syllable words. I know uh, one thing that I've done with some students is getting them to make up names of ghosts and goblins or Pokemon, um, Harry Potter spells, you know, just ways to get them excited and also test whether they can use those phonic skills that they're working on with you. Because when you work with non-words and, and pseudo words, they're not words that the kids are going to have memorized. Right, even though we're working on phonics with them, there are still those kids that memorize things very quickly. And that helps weed it out. Next, let's go on to fluency. So fluency is when we are looking at the automatic recognition of the word. So that's when they can recognize it within a fraction of a second. And that's considered to be orthographic mapping or having a sight word um, vocabulary. And it's not meaning that they've memorized them. It means that they can understand it and recognize it so quickly. And it's actually going to take them longer to sound it out than just say what they've known. They've established that connection on, in their brain for the word. And that's our goal. That's what we're trying to get to. And so in kindergarten, it's very early, right? We're starting them on this. And in fluency, I mean, I know we're doing um, our school board book study right now is The Art and Science of Teaching Primary Reading by Christopher Such. And I know we talked about fluency at our last session. So three aspects of that. So the automaticity, the fact that they're doing it automatically and, um, and quickly, you've got your accuracy that they're actually getting it right. And then the, it's called prosody. So does it sound like natural language? Do they start to use expression and that sort of thing? So when I'm having kids read CBC words, constant, all consonant, I'm not expecting a lot of expression at this point. It's more the accuracy, the automaticity that, that we're trying to get at first. And there's no nothing wrong in kindergarten with just working with individual words for a while. I think because we're so immersed in the balanced literacy idea and the fact that kids were reading books 
because they were guessing as they went through the pages and like, oh my goodness, my students can read. And even parents taking pride in, oh, they can read a book. And so now we just want them to give them books. We want to be able to say they're reading books start with the sounds and then go to words and that's fine some things i did at the beginning to start working on fluency things like this was a one dollar teachers pay teachers and before I, I show it i want to talk about teachers pay teachers for a second because a lot of the vendors have realized that structured literacy and science of reading are very hot words now and they've started slapping them on their products and it does not mean that they are aligned so you still need to be discerning i wouldn't suggest going on and looking for science of reading resources I would suggest looking for exactly what you need that you think is aligned. So for example, I was looking for like CVC fluency practice because I thought, okay, CVC words are very appropriate to the phonics that I've taught my kids. I want fluency practice. So this is what I want to do. So you need to still be targeted with what you're doing and be a smart consumer that way. But this is just a little roll at read it. So they would just be with partners. They would roll their, their number cube and whatever one they would land on they would practice reading and so this is just cvc caught mad peg tip lot hug and then the partner would go and they'd go back and forth this set came with i think seven different pages so after we used one for a couple of days i would slide the next one into this little sheet protector and they would start to do that at this point now we are now into the fluency practice actually doing it with our little books so what they do is partner practice and it's so valuable. So they sit side by side and you really have to train them to do this kind of thing. So we are using these primary phonics books. They sit down side by side, they take turns with the pages. And we talked about what do you do if your partner gets stuck? And it's the same thing we were talking about before. You could prompt them with the sound. If they're really stuck on the word, just tell them the word so they can keep on going. And you'll have some kids say, we're done. And so they've learned now you go back to the start and then you do it again if you're still killing time and you're waiting. Some kids don't get through the book in the time we do it because we just do seven or eight minutes just of this um, in a day just for them to practice that. I did do a little fluency assessment with the kids before the March break um, with, and I just used the roll it to read it just the CBC words and I did a one minute because I know oral reading fluency is a big deal but my kids aren't weren't ready at that point for actual like passages of, of text and sentences so I did it with the words and what I had a hard time finding is what's good for kindergarten like how many words correct per minute is good so I know Tim Rosinski is uh, very much considered an expert in terms of fluency I found a presentation he did where he kind of shared some guidelines and there wasn't for kindergarten, but it said for the beginning of grade one, five to 10 words per minute, correct. And then it skyrockets from there. By the end of grade one, it's like 50 to 60. But if the beginning of grade one is five to 10, I thought, well, I'm going to try to get my kids five to 10. And I mean, they're, they're almost all at 10 or above 10 before the March break anyway. So, and, and that's hard. It's hard to know how to assess when we're used to those balanced literacy assessments. But for me, that was another way to just assess and see how they were doing because I knew that fluency was important and I knew that this was something that, uh, that I could use instead of some of those old balanced literacy tools. Wonderful. After fluency, we move on to, oh, let me see, vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And, um, I really like how you discuss about vocabulary because it really highlights that we're not just using decodable texts with our children. There are other places that we can have the rich literacy that's available. I mean, I love children's books. We probably have 
hundreds in my house <laughs> just because of my love of it. My, my children share it. And I know teachers libraries are typically pretty big, pretty quick. Um, so don't worry if you have a huge, rich library of some of your favorite children's books, you can still use them. And it's important you use them to expose them to this language. Mm -hmm. So we know that the whole idea of language comprehension is so important to kids picking up that vocabulary and they're not going to get rich vocabulary from, you know, sit, pat, sit, pat, sits, right? That's an important piece of what we're doing, but we also know the other is important too. And, you know, I think there are some areas where people are going to have to make big changes to fit into structure literacy. I think primary teachers have been pretty good with this. They might need to be a little more explicit, but we want to keep doing those rich, rich read alouds, you know, the picture books, that sort of thing. I think my favorite part about being a teacher is when I am in the rocking chair and the kids are sitting on the carpet and they're all looking at a book like that is my happy place. I love books like the Fancy Nancy books because she deliberately introduces, you know, fancy big words, which are amazing. Something I started doing this year was doing chapter books at snack time. So I'll do, you know, like a chapter in the morning and a chapter in the afternoon. Magic Treehouse books are excellent for that because they've got that fiction story component going, but in every book, they're kind of picking up some non-fiction content knowledge too. We're going to talk about comprehension next, but there's a lot of that there as well. I mean, we just finished the one about pirates and they learned a bit about pirates and you might think, well, why do kindergarten kids need to learn about pirates? But, you know, someday they're going to be trying to decode the word treasure. And they want to have heard the word treasure, have a context for what it means, and it will help them when they get to that word and they are trying to identify it at some point, right? So they want, we want all of that in their vocabulary. When I'm reading, certainly I come across things and I'll define them. Well, what does that mean if he, I think today, like it says he clutched it. What does it mean if he was clutching it? And we'll stop and talk about it. Sometimes what I try to do is just be dramatic. So I'm defining the word without even stopping the story. So I'll say like, oh, he scowled. And then I'll scowl at them, right? Or I'll say, can you all scowl at me? And then, they, oh, that, oh, you guys look mad. Okay. So I didn't even really have to stop and go into a whole big, long discussion. Okay, everybody shrug. What's the shrug look like? Or can you gaze at me? Oh, I like the way you're gazing at me. And just do some examples like that to just pull things out of the text. Um, a neat book, and I know I said I'm not affiliated with anything. So I do want to say I received one copy of this book for review. But there's a series out now called Read With Me Kids Classics. And so the one I got was Alice in Wonderland in 20 minutes a day. And there's a bunch like The Wind in the Willows, A Secret Garden, A Christmas Carol. I would use it in kindergarten because it's still a little too advanced, but they broke down the classics into 20 minute chunks. So parents, absolutely, bedtime story, that sort of thing. But also I'd say grade two and up read alouds as well. So if you've got older children at home or if you teach an older grade and you're watching, these are really cool because they also have definitions in the margins. So there may be some like old English words that you might not even know exactly how to define and they're right there. Or if a child, a older child is reading this independently. And then at the end of the 20 minute section, there are some comprehension and discussion questions and they're pretty rich. Like they're not just, you know, factual. It's, you know, what do you think Alice should have done there? Or what do you think so-and-so? So it really leads into discussion. So just a random, I just got this a couple of days ago, but I thought, hey, if we're going to talk about vocabulary, you know, something neat. So all of those rich read alouds, whether it's picture books, Books, whether it's, um, you know, starting to do some chapter books with the kids, vocabulary, so important to, to their reading and not just the comprehension piece of their reading, word identification will be easier to them if they've got those words in their vocabulary bank in their head. 
Yeah, and it also is a great, doing those rich read-alouds is so important, especially when we have students that are struggling readers. Uh, and even as we get older, because they're not going to be exposed to these words when they're reading on their own and their peers who are skilled readers are. So we're facilitating the ability for them to add these words to the vocabulary because they're at least hearing them through us. And that's why if a teacher does um, a, a silent reading program in their classroom, I always recommend to let those struggling readers listen to audiobooks at their comprehension level and not their reading level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so important. So let's move on to comprehension. Yes, so the decoding, all of that's important. The end goal is comprehension, right? We want the kids to be able to decode the words. We want them to understand them. They need the language comprehension for that to get to the reading comprehension piece at the end. Content knowledge, really important for reading comprehension. I know in kindergarten, we really had that kind of swing, inquiry, play, provocations, that sort of thing, which is great. But sometimes we have to teach. Something has to be direct teaching. So we talked about that with the phonics, but sometimes even with subject matter, like the science, social studies, when you get into the older grades, you know, depending on the province, history, geography, whatever they call it, sometimes the teacher does have to teach. And I didn't really know in the Ontario kindergarten program, you know, we would do inquiries on things of interest to the kids and you'd put out centers and there'd be activities and, and all of that. Very important and valuable. But I also wanted to make sure I was teaching them some things. What I did this year was I started using units from Core Knowledge Language Arts, CKLA, free units that many different grades that you can download. So after Christmas, I did one on the five senses. So what it is, is you've got your little teacher's guide that I printed off with read aloud information. There are slides up on the board. So when we talked about your sense of sight, there might be, you know, a picture of an eye and we're talking about like, what does the pupil do? What does the iris do? You've got kids in kindergarten talking about these kind of things. So again, they're getting vocabulary. They're getting content knowledge. Talk, well, what's the job of the eyelashes? Well, it keeps dirt from getting into your eye. Did you know that your eyelashes protect you? All of that sort of thing. Well, what does protect even mean? And so you get into all of that. So, you know, this is what a sheet that the teacher would have in front of them kind of looks like. So you see the little mini photos and then so it says show image 1a living things and then it actually gives you your little script to read so it's just like a read aloud except you've got the slides for the kids on the board there are questions to talk to them about for each one as well. So what we're going to do next um, after Easter is start one about plants, because again, we can do all sorts of fun. Like we can plant things and we can have centers and we can do cut and paste. We can do all of that stuff as well. And um, the sensory bin will be filled with plant related things, but I also want to make sure they're learning some facts about them. So the CKLA, that's definitely something that, that I'm using now that I think is good. Um, don't skimp on that science and social studies. And I know even in older grades, people think, well, I got to make more of a language block. So maybe I'll cut my social studies. And you don't need to do that because in your social studies, you can be reading rich things. And even if you need to read aloud, even if the kids aren't all able to access that text on their own because of whatever level they're at in their reading, if you're reading it or you're somehow making it accessible, like you were mentioning audiobooks, something like that. So it's still accessible to them. It's really important. And I know I mentioned the book study that we're doing um, the Art and Science of Teaching Primary Reading by Christopher Such. So the next session that I'm planning for is actually the one all about the language comprehension side of things. And I just wanted to share a couple of quotes that I was putting in my slideshow because I thought they were really good. All content knowledge in all subjects helps children to read. 
So whatever subject you're teaching, if you are making sure that knowledge is being imparted, sometimes they're doing their own research, sometimes they're doing projects, sometimes they're doing inquiry, sometimes you are the teacher at the front of the room teaching them something that they need to know, all of that will help them with their reading. Learning about our world and its culture is learning to read. So again, even discussions, conversations, and I know he says, you know, all, all reading activities don't have to culminate in them writing something about it. It can be just discussions and, and talking about it. And another interesting point is he said the majority of comprehension difficulties are tied to fluency. So fluency assessments can actually provide more useful info about children's reading attainment than reading comprehension assessments. So a lot of people are thinking, well, where do I pull? I need a reading comprehension. How am I going to test their comprehension? But actually testing their fluency is a very good predictor of what their comprehension would be. So that's just something to keep in mind as well, um, you know, in terms of the comprehension piece. Well, fluency and vocabulary, right, are those two big components because they need to be able to read the words at a, a rate that they're not taking up too much of their working memory um, when it comes to sounding out words, because when they use that working memory for sounding out words they're unfamiliar with, it's taking away from the ability to remember what they've read and connecting those pieces of information together. And it's important to have the vocabulary of the conversation because then you know what it's talking about. I mean, I'm sure many adults that are on this conversation could read the textbook that I had for um, multiple regressions and they'd be able to read it fluently with prosody. And then I could give a very basic comprehension test and they would be like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I can read it, but I don't understand it. Right, so looking at the fluency and the vocabulary definitely play a, a big role. And when you're talking about teaching these content uh, classes and areas, when we're talking about the social studies and the sciences uh, and poetry, we can pull out words that fit the code that our students know and say, hey, look, you know what? We're talking about flowers and we can sound out the word pot. Let's try it. Uh, hot. Maybe they can help encode it when you're writing it on the board. And these are all activities that we can include. And even though it's not our reading lesson or our phonics lesson, it can be incidentally taught or one of those teachable moments and tying it all together so that students recognize that they're not just learning how to read. We are going to teach them and get to the point where they are reading to learn and show that to them early. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Now, we are done those five core for reading, but it's very important to incorporate things to writing and all these elements. So we do have a little bit of time to talk about how you use writing instruction in your classroom. Yes, so that encoding piece, like it's the flip, right? You've got your decoding, you've got your encoding and, and the writing part is important. The writing piece should correspond exactly with the phonics that you're doing. So you should expect them to be able to write whatever you're expecting them to be able to read, but they need the practice to do that. So obviously they need the printing and sometimes there is fine motor work and that sort of thing to be done as well. Um, 
one of the best things that I've ever done, or I should say that my dad has ever done. He bought a great big, huge whiteboard from Home Depot and cut it into sections for me. And then my mom used washi tape around the outsides of them and to decorate it. And I have used those in my classroom for years just with dry erase markers. So what I do with the kids now is they go get their marker and their whiteboard. They come and sit down at the carpet in front of the smart board and we'll be doing our writing. So sometimes it was just trying to print letters. Now talking about improvement, I will totally admit one thing I didn't do so well this year was the positioning of letters piece. And I love the whole like um, sky, grass, ground, that sort of thing. And we did a bit of that, but I wasn't super consistent. So my kids know very well how to form the letters but then I realized when they started doing some writing on lines they don't realize oh no the g that goes under you know that sort of thing that they're writing a beautiful g but they're putting it all on top of the line so I will fully admit that's an area for me to work on next time because when there's just the whiteboard there are lines on it so I'm trying to think of how to be creative so I can have something on there to help them with that so the handwriting practice of the letters in the first place Something I like to do is word chains. I got a great resource from the Dyslexic Logic website and they've got a whole bunch. So I printed off one where it's CBC words, tons of them, but they have all sorts of, you know, like as you work through digraphs, you work through other things. Now, the idea of their sheets was that you could use it for segmenting and blending, you know, like with little tokens and things, that sort of thing, you know, just in front of them. I'm using them for actual writing. And so, you know, write the word box, and so they all write the word box. And so I'm going around and in Ontario, we have, um, I have a kindergarten ECE, a registered early childhood educator partner in my room, super, super valuable. So she can go around with me as well. And we can stop and talk to kids. I'm really picky now, especially with my year twos about using lowercase because they know when to use lowercase. Even when they write their name, I will get them to fix it now in year two. If they've got uppercase letters kind of strewn within, like, nope, just your first letters should be uppercase. So we get them to do that. And so then they've got box. I was like, well, who can spell it for me? And then I write it on the board. Okay, now I want you to take one letter and change it so that now it says fox. And so they have to figure out, and it's easy on a whiteboard. They have they all the Kleenex. We just hand out Kleenexes each time. They just wipe out whatever letter and then they switch it. And then, okay, now how do we spell? So when we spell, we say what the letter names are. So can you tell me the letter names? And then I write that. Now, how do I change a letter and make it fog and continued? Sometimes I'll just do five in a little lesson. That's all kindergartens need. And then I'll just kind of check off what ones I did. So I remember for next time and go from there. Um, another little activity I just made up is I just got pictures from something else. Just write the word. And this is after we had done CBC. So I just found pictures of things like sun, fog, bib, hat, etc., and stuck them on there. And then got the kids to do that as a writing activity because they should be able to now sound them out to do that. Now, you know, if you actually, if you want to show the picture of the sound wall now, this is something where I want them to use the sound wall and use diverse. And a lot of them would do that. So the science of reading does not say you have to have a sound wall. It does not say that it has to look a certain way. So if you've done a lot of research on sound walls, you might look at mine and think, oh, she doesn't have a vowel valley. But I did what I thought was best with my students. And so what I did was as I introduced a letter in sound, we just kind of put it linear. And then once I had the vowels, we did sort, but we only have the short vowels. They haven't learned the whole vowel valley. So we've got the short vowels there. And then this was several months ago, but you can see which consonants um, sounds we had done. We hadn't done any digraphs at that point. What I did was take pictures of the kids and put them under the sound that their name started with, because that was an extra helpful prompt for the kids as well, because they knew that if they looked for Roman, then that would be the er sound, which was great. Um, 
And so I do find kids often looking to that, or sometimes when they're doing writing at the floor and they're saying, well, I, I don't remember what I need for the sound. And I'll say, oh, remember like zebra or whatever the key picture is. And then they look over to try to find the zebra, which is at least a little bit better than me just telling them what it is or writing it for them, right? So they're still trying to scope out, look for where that is, and then find the starting letter. So as opposed to a word wall that I used to have with a whole bunch of high-frequency words stuck up on it that nobody used, the only thing kids ever did use was um, when I would have the kids' pictures with their names beside them. Sometimes when they were trying to write about their friends, they would go looking for someone's name to write their name. So they use that occasionally for the word wall, nothing else. The sound wall is used on a regular basis constantly. So it's something I definitely, you know, it was a good purchase and it was a good thing for me to incorporate into my practice. I'll keep going with that. Some of these writing activities, Another thing is if you're a kindergarten teacher in Ontario, which I know not everybody is, but if you do have a partner, we have a system where my partner takes the kids to gym every day and I keep a small group back. So whatever they need to work on, that's what I'm doing with those kids. So sometimes these writing activities, like for example, another thing I've started doing is spelling tests. And there were a couple of people on Twitter very worried about the pressure I'm putting on kindergarten students by doing spelling tests. But I do want to tell you that they have no idea what a test is. I'm introducing them to the idea of what a test is and that it's fun and you're doing something like the big kids and you get to show me what you know. They were all very pumped about it. So this, was, this is a positive thing. But I have a little spelling test template. And so the first one I did was just CBC words that I expected them to be able to, to do. There were a couple of my year ones that weren't ready to do that. So I didn't pull them in a group to do that. I just did that with the kids who I thought would be ready. And that's something that I did when the other groups were gone to gym. Today I've moved on, they're doing the same thing again, except now I started putting in some of the diagraphs that we learned too. So they're starting to put some of those in there, some of the trickier things like, um, you know, which which to use a K or a C at the beginning. We learned that little a C goes before A-O-U, K goes before the other two. And so we have that up for them to, to use. And I have heart words on the board as well that we practice and review. And so those are there if they need to use those as well. Um, yeah, and then when I did the mid-year assessment with the kids and I found that they... Like, so absolutely their letter name knowledge came up really well, their letter sounds. There was one little guy where he knew at the beginning of the year, he only knew four sounds. And then mid-year when I assessed him again, he knew 25 sounds. So we have learned more than 25 now because of diagram or like more than it's just because there's 26 letters. We've actually learned more than 26 sounds. But the fact that he went from four to 25, he can't name 25 letters yet but he's got 25 sounds, which I think is a really valuable part of his reading and writing. So I'm okay with the fact that, you know, the sounds are a little higher than the letters, but certainly again, the mid-year gave me an idea of where to go from there, which kids still need to work on things. So, you know, there's one where I put a little thing together to send home with the, like I did um, little minis of those embedded mnemonics because that's where he is. So he's doing five a week of those. I picked like the consonants from his name. One of his vowels is not, uh, is not a short vowel. So I didn't want to use that, but the consonants from his name and then a couple of the short vowels. And I actually like sent an email to the mom explaining for her what she should do, you know, what she should do with it. Um, because that's the thing. Parents are used to the balanced literacy. 
And so it's up to us. I know I was going to mention like just in terms of goals with reading, with writing, you have to be um, reasonable and appropriate with what you're expecting for kindergarten kids. So the different kinds of assessments I'm talking about, you're not expecting them to pull books and read them unless they're decodable books and books with high frequency words that they've been taught. You want to have um, appropriate expectations that way. Um, and then you need to communicate to parents. I know some of them had me as a teacher for their older kids in kindergarten. So I'm telling them, okay, know how, you know how I said, use your eagle eye, look at the picture. We're not doing that anymore. So sorry about that. But actually now what I want you to do is just tell them the sound. And then if they don't know it, here's what you do. And, and you kind of move on from there. So it's important to, and for them to know what's good, like for them to understand, like it doesn't matter that they can't pull a book off the library shelf and read a random book, because that's not what we expect from kindergarten. The fact that they can go boom, 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 down this list of CDC words is exactly what I want them to be able to do. And then the same with writing. We do things as well, like journal writing, and they'll copy from a model or I'll give them sentence starters like we worked on the word have so I have and then they just sounded out whatever the rest of it was like I have one kid did a fidget spinner so it was just you know lots of consonants all in there however he thought fidget spinner should be spelled but he was sounding it out so lots of opportunities for more authentic writing too. It's not just sitting there writing CBC words. And, you know, we write cards for our parents and they do things during playtime and all of that. So all sorts of different, different writing opportunities. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I'm just looking around to see if there's any, I think it pretty much showed you everything that I brought home. But, um, and these are the things that, you know, I'm a real teacher in a real classroom using all of this stuff every day, just doing the best I can. And I have never, like, I mean, in six years in kindergarten, I have never seen real reading and writing from kindergarten students. And so that's just what tells me that this is the right way to go. And I'm just so excited about it. And I'm really grateful that, that you had me on again to talk about practical pieces of this and I hope it's helpful for people watching yes thank you and that's that I think that I'm hearing from teachers when I speak to them the improvements that their students are making especially if they've taught you know with more of a balanced literacy approach in the past it's just undeniable and it speaks for itself and then when they have their, their class graduate onto the next grade level and the teachers in the next grade level are like whoa I can definitely tell the kids that came from your class versus a class that had more of a balanced literacy approach. You can't deny the changes that have been made and the difference of levels of these students. And that's where the right to read recommendations really come in because if we see changes made to our curriculum that address that this is how we need to teach the students that really helps to make sure that all students do get equal access to reading instruction. And while some may argue that it's taking away teacher autonomy, we're not saying that you can't teach other things with a little bit more freedom, but reading is such a core foundational skill that these kids are going to need for the rest of um, their li life to be able to do well. Now, you should be able to access the links in the chat. If you can't, um, tomorrow this is gonna be available on the Right to Read Initiative website as a replay, and they will be in the notes there. Uh, or on the podcast, which you can get from Anchor and is available on Google and the iTunes uh, or from Anchor. 
Um, sorry, I'm still quite new with this whole podcast thing. <laughs> Uh, but it will be in the show notes. If you don't have them, just send me an email info at right to read initiative.com. And I'd be happy to pass them along to you. Uh, and if any of you are on here thinking that, you know what, you want to share what you're doing in your classroom or have some ideas, I'd love to have an opportunity to speak to you. So do please reach out. Uh, does anybody have any questions for Kate about what she does in her classroom before we leave. Just give a couple for questions. I just wanted to throw out there. I'm on Twitter at this mom loves. That seems to be the, the place, the, the social media platform for a lot of really good science of reading structure literacy discussion. Happy to, to get to know you there. You can message me with any questions. If you're not on Twitter, Instagram at Kate, this mom loves. I don't post as much about reading on there, but if that's your, your way of being able to message me, that's cool too. And I really honestly am happy to, to help to answer questions, to you know have people bounce ideas off me or ask me anything about what's going on with structured literacy. I'm just, it's my passion and uh, I'm just always thrilled to talk about. Yeah, and there is the Right to Read Initiative Facebook group where this stuff is all being archived and we're, I'm in the process of setting up um, learning sections within the group so you can have access to the various different uh, conversations that I've had based on your interest and we are planning to get some mentorship happening on that group as it grows. So thank you, everyone. We've really enjoyed this live. And thank you so much, Kate, for joining me this evening. Thank you. I was thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me.